Hi everyone, I'm Claire Liu and I'm the CEO of Know Your Team, software that helps managers avoid becoming a bad boss. And I am truly thrilled to have today on the heartbeat someone who is usually on the other side of the podcast table, (laughs) admittedly, but someone who I have looked up to and listened to and respected his work for years. And so today I have Shane Parrish, who is the founder and owner of Farnham Street, which is this amazing online resource where he has uh, this podcast called The Knowledge Project, where he interviews literally the top and brightest minds. And the entire resource is all about helping you make better decisions in your life. And I know I have leaned on it tremendously. I don't even know if you know the Shane, like your book recommendations, I like very regularly go through and be like, oh, you know, sort of compare notes <laughs> to see, oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I particularly was so excited, Shane, to have you on the podcast is because I've been asking people who I respect and admire this one question about leadership. And I'd asked you beforehand, you know, if you wanted to know the question before or just live and you said live. All right. Give it to me. So we'll see if you picked your poison well. No, it's all good. (laughs) It's hopefully not that scary. (laughs) No, it's hopefully not that scary of a question. But the question I had was, what's one thing, or it could be several things, that you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader? Oh, this is so topical. And somebody, you know, recently in the past two weeks just pointed out a huge blind spot to me uh, in my leadership, which I wish I would have known sooner. And so my tendency with things is to just um, cut through and pick out the problems. So when people come to me and they'll be like, we did all of these 10 exciting things. And here's this one thing that is sort of, you know, not going 100% or not not working. I always gravitate towards that one thing and ignore everything that is positive, right? So it's, uh, and for me, like, I, I don't think in those terms, right? So I don't think... Um, when people say something positive about the work that we do or something, uh, I mean, I hear it and I listen to it and I appreciate it, but it sort of like doesn't sit or resonate with me, right? Like for me, it's always, it's sort of like we can do so much better and I'm yeah. always grabbing on to what we can do better instead of where we are. And so I had somebody come and point out to me recently that I'm always like this. And I was like, I had no idea. Like I thought everybody was like this. And they're like, no, we're, we're telling you these 10 <laughs> things because we want you to like be aware of them and be excited about them. And it's like, oh yeah, but this 11th thing, like we could be doing so much better in this one thing. And it's, so that's been a huge, uh, you know, it's a blind spot that I've had up until two weeks ago. And now I'm sort of wow. like struggling a little bit to address it where I'm trying to make positive yeah. comments to people in a way that um, is genuine to who I am and what I think. And also sort of um, acknowledging the work that we've done well, while being respectful of the fact that I still think there's a gap between what we're doing and what we could be doing or all the room for improvement that we have. And it's it's kind of funny to watch, actually, at this point. (laughs) It's a little awkward, but it's sort of that's where I'm at. I mean, it's just been a big fun spot to me because of the way and the teams that I've managed have always been so operational. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a little bit different thing with Farnham Street, but my previous career, uh, everything was driven by operations. So it's always the next operation. It's always the next problem. It's always like troubleshooting and always fixing problems. And now 
Yes. I'm sort of like trying to step back from that and reevaluate myself as a leader. And I don't think I'm a very good leader at all. And this is one of the reasons why, right? Like this is a huge blind spot. And I was so unaware of it until, um, you know, a couple weeks ago. So, (laughs) Thank you so much for being so candid about something that happened so recently. I feel like a lot of times, and you may have experienced this in, you know, the folks that you get to interview, you know, you ask someone about something that they learn and it's something where it's far enough away where there's enough emotional distance where they can say, oh, yes, this is this thing that happened and I got, you know, it was resolved and I did the personal work and this is, this is, this is raw, this is fresh. And, you know, part of the reason I'm bringing it up is like rubbing my nose in it a little bit, right? And talking about it and not only being vulnerable with it, because I, I think that that's part of the way that we... We sort of acknowledge where we're at, where we want to be, and the, the difference between and how to get there to ourselves. Yep. Yep. But also, you know, I think that it's real. Like, it's real for me. And it's not something I can sort of absolve myself from. Hey, when I was like 21 and I first took over <laughs> a team, this thing happened. But now I'm like amazing and great. It's like, I'm not, right? Like, there's a messy, yeah. messy process that we're all sort of going through at all stages in life. And, uh, or maybe I just am and everybody else has their no, has everything well, figured out and I'm the one like walking around going like, am I the only one that is going no. through this? Yeah. You know, you're not the only one. My God. Uh, because someone who does this for a living and asks this question literally for a living, uh, you are not the only one. I think what's fascinating about it, there's like a few levels I want to dive into. One is I think just even sort of the historical context of this question, given your background. So what some folks might not know before you were, uh, you know, you had a site that was read by hundreds and thousands of people following it and, you know, hundreds and thousands of downloads on your podcast. I mean, you worked for the Canadian National Security Associate or agency, essentially, like essentially what's the equivalent of like the NSA here in the US? I'm not really allowed to say where I worked, but I did work for a three letter agency. Okay. So there was... Everyone's going to connect the dots here, right? Yeah. And I can only imagine I'm projecting here and, you know, I'll sort of give you some holes here so you don't have to sort of self-incriminate, but that I can only imagine that in an environment like that, the attention to the things that could possibly go wrong, right, fars out numbers, any sort of attention or lifting up of, oh, here are the things that are going well. So in many ways, just sort of even past experience, and this is just an assumption, right, based off what you're sharing, is wiring you and you're getting positive feedback about, no, those are the things as a leader that you need to be pointing out and that if you don't, who's going to? And yeah, 10 things can be going right, but the 11th thing, like that's the thing that matters. Yeah. And the expectation is sort of like that you do, you do your job and that is your job. And so like right. where, where we're not doing our job or where the room for improvement. And somebody put this to me the other day too. They said, like, it's like, mm. you know, you're the coach on the football team and like the receiver catches a touchdown and you don't get excited because you're like, well, they're supposed to catch the touchdown, right? Like that's their job. They're a receiver. It's like the, the footwork was off. The like. ball's thrown, right? Like it's in the yeah. air and they caught it and that's what they're supposed to do. And it's like, well, you're that yeah. coach. And I'm like, oh man, like, yeah, mm. I, you know, it hit me. It, it still uh, obviously is still with me. And But yeah, I mean, I come yeah. from a very operational background. There was no shortage of work. I started two weeks before September 11th. The world changed right after that. And, you know, I didn't really get a break for 15 years. It was always the the next thing. So, uh, but that got me where I am, but it's not going to get me Mm -hmm. where I want to go. Right. So it it served me, but now it's sort of like not serving me if you want to think about it. And now it's hindering me and hindering what we can do with Barnum Street and what we can do with the Knowledge Project. 
Well, I think your awareness around this is really profound because I, I, you know, I'm personally guilty of this myself, which is that oftentimes as leaders, when we receive a piece of feedback, the degree to which we accept that it's true might like might be there. Like we might go, oh yeah, no, that's true. But oftentimes, and again, I'm totally guilty of this myself. We say, but that might be true, but I have to do that because it's in service of the way we have to run the team. Like if I didn't point that 11th thing out. So it becomes this really interesting double-edged sword where it's like the things that people might not like or hate me for as a leader, but I also feel like are the things that help us make progress. Like to what extent do, do you know, do I compromise on those things? And I think the most interesting sort of aha moment or sorry, let me pause on that. So I think what oftentimes be- happens because of that is it's very easy to justify and continue sort of making the quote unquote mistake over and over, right? right. Is you go, oh, yeah, people are going to like it, but like who else is going to do it? And like, I don't know any other way. And, you know, this is how I'm wired and look how, you know, where it's gotten us here, right? And so you can sort of self justify. And what I think is so remarkable about like what you're pointing out though is to your point, if you want to, elevate where your performance is going to be, what that outcome is going to be. Something has to change. And to whatever degree, like you think it's true that it's helpful, someone else is thinking it's not. And that takes a real degree of awareness, truly. The world gives us feedback, whether we're receptive to it or not, is totally up to us, right? And sometimes it's false feedback. And sometimes you have to sort of be like, I understand what you're saying, and that doesn't apply in this situation. And be honest with yourself about whether it does or doesn't. And sometimes in this case, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a 180 degree turn on the spot, but it, it probably took 24 True. hours. And I was like, I think you're right. I think uh, what I'm doing is getting in the way of where we want to go. And like, help me correct it now, right? You pointed it out. So now call me on it. And like, I want to get better at it. What's I, I have a question for you because I'm I'm Please. used to asking questions, right? Please, so, so hard come on. Not to. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what's the most recent? You're like, piece, this isn't where I'm usually doing. <laughs> what's the most recent piece of feedback you've gotten that sort of like hit you and was like, oh mm. man, like yeah, that's oh my god, something that happened. Um, I took a big vacation at the end of November, the first I've done in like years, where I like truly unplugged, and right before I went. I had a one-on-one with our operations manager who's only been with us for six months. She's brilliant. She wears a ton of different hats. She even started, because she's actually such an excellent writer, she, you know, our operations manager started writing uh, pieces for our blog. That's awesome. And I've been the only writer for our blog for years, right? So just, you know, a lot of potential. And, you know, there's sort of been a reason I've been the only person writing on our blog for years. I have a tendency to have a really high standard for what we're putting out content wise. Yeah. And, you know, if, if what really makes us different is know your team is that content, then okay, there's a certain bar I see, right? And so the piece of feedback that she gave me was, Claire, I so appreciate all the feedback that you're giving me about my writing. But at the same time, like, there's one post where it's like you literally rewrote like 60% of it. Yep. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. Yeah. I did. Like I wasn't playing editor anymore. I was literally, I like took off that hat and was just like, I'm, that's, it's not how I would have written it. Right. right. And the problem with that is that it's her piece, right? Yeah. Like that's the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> She's the writer. I'm not the writer in this role. And my role is changed. Yeah. It's not 
this piece needs to be exactly how I would have written it about the specific subject. It needs, you know, it needs to be her voice. Yeah. And it's not going to, like, the set, like, it was hilarious. I went back and looked and I was like, oh, my God. I would, like, take the same sentence, but just, like, just change it in the way I would have written it. Yep. Just, like, so cringeworthy, right? It's the exact it's same sort meaning, of look. but, it, like, it makes more yeah. sense to you, right? Yeah. It's just the way yeah. I would have written it. And... It was a hard thing to receive in the sense that so I mean, it's hilarious when you sort of study leadership for a living and then you actually have to practice it, right? And to like notice yeah. where the alignment and the, and the cognitive dissonance happens. And so it was so interesting to, in so many ways, be so consistent around, oh, yeah, enabling people to do their best work. You can't do the work themselves. You know, there's so many times where that lesson has been reiterated for me and where I practice that really well. And yet in this specific situation, like a very specific specific domain that I had owned for years, right? I wasn't able to hold true to that. And so that was my blind spot there. But you were able to learn from it with the feedback. And that's what I think (laughs) separates people who sort of like stay in the same spot doesn't matter their outwardly mm. success, but they stay in the same spot from people who who sort of yes. um, go forward and get better and adapt more to what's happening. That's an example also of like a very scalable thing. I have friends right yes. now who run businesses and you can see it from the outside looking in. It's easy to see because you're yep. not part of that day-to-day system. And you're like, yep. what you're doing is just not going to scale. It's not going to get you where you want to go because you're you're too focused on certain things that are that you can't scale and you have to eventually trust other people, but they don't want to invest the time to trust the other people because that's a huge upfront time commitment. And they're like, we're so busy. It's just easier if I do it myself and I do all the, but but they wake up six months from now and they're in the exact same spot. Right. And Mm -hmm. often they have like extra employees that they're doing it for now. And it's like, well, you know, why does anybody work for you? You just do it all. Like it's, you know, <laughs> it's what's the point? Yeah. But it's yeah. like, you're stressed out. They're not stressed out. You're stressed out. I mean, they're probably not happy because they feel like they're not growing and they're not learning from you. And here's this remarkable opportunity to work with somebody who's world-class on this really cool project and grow right. this company. And you're not even giving them that. And it's sort of right. like, it's really hard to, to do that because you're in the system. You don't see it, right? You just see like, we got to get this done by tomorrow and it needs to look a certain way. Exactly. And, and I care, right? And that's the other thing. It's because you care exactly. that you're like, I'm going to reword that sentence. It's because you're so attuned to the, the detail and the brand and the message you want to send. Yeah. So it's all positive things, but they lead to sort of like a negative uh, long-term outcome. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it, it's so easy to to get so obsessive and so zoomed in on just what those uh what those short-term signals are and be like ah ah and not understand okay big picture right long term we are so blind to that to that view one thing i i wanted to sort of jump back to that you had touched on was just this idea you know you would ask me like what was you know what was a piece of feedback recently right or similarly i'd received seen something hard and what i find so interesting is when you dive into why certain pieces of feedback are harder to receive than mm-hmm. others and what are times where you know it's easy to kind of roll it off your shoulder and what are times yeah. when you actually do take action yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's it's interesting you know, we study uh, we study the subject a lot, and there tend to be sort of three different categories of triggers that people have around feedback. Okay. So one is a truth trigger. So like when something's real and like truthful, we go, "Oh shit, 
I'm like a perfectionist yep. and I really don't want to do that because that just like, that means I'm wrong. Yeah. We don't like being wrong. So there's truth triggers, there's relationship triggers. So depending on the person who told us, mm. we'll receive the feedback in a certain way. So for example, for your piece of feedback, someone, you were able to receive that likely because you had some sort of rapport with the person right. where you know they're not just out to get you or, you know, they're trying to throw you under the bus or, or whatever. And same thing with our operations manager in my case. And then the last, and this is the hardest one, and this is why for me, the piece of feedback I received, like, I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, that feeling, oh, <laughs> was uh, an identity trigger right. is that you conflate your sense of self with your behavior. And so when something doesn't line up, right. it's just like, oh, who yeah. am I? How could I do that? Does that, is that so, does ego also yeah. fall for you in that identity center? Because it, like to me, I find mm. myself when I'm instinctively defensive about feedback, it's yes. always feedback that's confronting my worldview of myself in an area I care about. Yes. Right? So if, if somebody's telling me that I'm not like treating people in the way that I like, I think I treat people really well. So the minute somebody yes. says even anything, I'm like hypersensitive to it. And I'm, oh, I just completely. find myself getting like really defensive. And then you start mentally coming up with this <laughs> list, right? What do you mean? I don't treat people well. Look at all these things that I do for yeah. them. And it's, you know, you sort of like you lose track of the feedback right. in the moment and you lose track of the fact that um, it could be right. It might be wrong too. But either way, that person is able to control your response. And I always find that interesting Absolutely. too, right? Where if it's somebody who's friendly to you, that's a different story. But if it's somebody who's not, now they, they know how to trigger me. And it, mm -hmm. it, that's also like a really weird sort of bit of feedback when you walk away from it. And it's like any given day, they can, they can make me upset. Yes. Why am I giving them this power to do this, yeah. right? <laughs> Not everybody Completely. is like out there to be your friend and, you know, some people uh, abuse those things when they know it's a button for you and yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I think to your point, it's when someone sort of touches this nerve of, yes, your worldview is wrong or not what you say it is and it's in an area that I care about. Absolutely. I think the actually... Uh, I share the story actually quite often in some of the workshops that we lead around feedback where the hardest piece of feedback I've ever received was about, I still remember it was like 10 years ago. And it was someone who I was trying to do a partnership with. And she actually called me up to say, Claire, could I offer you some feedback? And, you know, didn't know her well at all. And uh, she said, I was like, oh, yeah, no, sure. She goes, uh, you come across as fake to me. Oh, really? So she told me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be so hard to hear. Oh, my God. How did she respond? Well, it is Oh, well, I, you know, thank God I was on the phone because she couldn't see, you know, my facial reaction and like color dropping from my face and just like complete, you know, first was just anger and then it was like surprise and then it was like sadness, you know, like all the waves of emotion in like a 10 second span. I, well, so luckily what I did is, and this is part of the framework that we teach is like, you actually just have to buy yourself some time to sort of emotionally calibrate when that happens, right? To like take a few seconds you know, one, assuming some positive intent, right? Like, why would she ever say, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like, there's no reason she would ever offer that because she's not going to gain anything from that. So just assuming that she actually wants to help. And two, whether or not I, were, you know, believe that it's true, in what ways can I accept it and actually take some sort of action mm. on it, right? So I told her, I actually said, thank you. I was like, you're, you know, I'm going to think really hard about what you mean by that and, you know, reflect on my actions and see what I can do, you know moving forward. And she had said it was because there were a few emails that I had responded in a way where she thought it wasn't, it didn't feel authentic. Hmm. 
And it was funny, you know, Shane, it's like I would go back and I would read the emails and in complete honesty, they were fine, right? You yeah. know, but, it, but you have to balance that with if it, it doesn't matter if it's true to, for me, it's right. like what's true to her. Yeah, yeah. And I think the most beautiful thing that came out of that is, I mean, you can sure bet after that one interaction, <laughs> every thing that I do, right? I try so hard to make sure that that is never even close to a piece of feedback that right. someone could give me. But it hit home for me, yeah, right? Because yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't – that's like the last thing I would ever it's want It's confronting to, your identity of yourself of in a lot of ways, right? Like it's, Oh, yeah. And we all – like Ooh. we're not perfect. So, I mean, there's all instances where, you know, we yes. uh, inadvertently do something that we don't intend to do to other people or um, – you just sort of like you're not your best self that particular day and it's also Precisely. acknowledging that like you can't always be 100% on and sometimes you're sending a rushed email and it's like 2 a.m. and you're like yes cut me some slack I'm awake at cut 2 a.m. right like I woke up <laughs> with this list of things to do in my head and you know I see yeah. it from both perspectives I see it from like the uh, perspective of somebody who wakes up at 2 a.m. because I do that occasionally when I'm super busy and I'm like rushing to do stuff and trying to go really fast and we forget the mm. difference between speed and velocity sometimes right where yes. we're running really fast but we're just going in circles and we're, we're impacting the people around us and if we want to go with other people in a direction we need velocity and velocity might mean slowing down to go faster mm -hmm. and farther over the long term. Exactly. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> oh, it was it was such an important lesson. Like literally, right? I still remember it. Like ten years later, right? It's it's so funny how something like that can stick with you. Did you circle back well, to her after? Oh yeah. Well, so okay. what was beautiful and brilliant is we ended up doing business together. Oh, right? awesome. Okay. Yeah, and she was like, "I really appreciate the way you received that," and we stayed in contact and it's it's possibly the best case scenario right for yeah, something yeah. like that to turn out uh but i think the biggest learning i had was just like the degree to which that affected me right right and the way that it clashed with as you were right. saying like my worldview of myself yeah right so i um i i truly like thousands of questions yeah. to ask you shane right. mainly because well here's the thing right you literally have spent your working life studying mental models, yeah. right? And this idea that a huge reason why there exists any sort of gap in understanding about any singular subject is not necessarily the lack of knowledge, but the lack of available sort of collective situations and scenarios and patterns and possibilities of what could be. And the reason I find it so compelling and why I follow your work so much is because when it comes to leadership, I feel like that problem, it's like it's exacerbated, right? Mm. So we as leaders have such a hard time figuring out how to be good, not because we don't know what like the right thing is to do, but it's because we're usually not exposed to sort of the library of situations or possible things like we don't know that oh because this person has this personality dis disposition or because this is happening in the market or because i have five team members and not 15 or because i come across like this i should be doing you know holding myself and conducting my actions in, in a completely different way versus if the team were 50 right yeah. or versus if marketing conditions were different or if this person we we, we lack that sort of um 
those set of stories. And so what we've tried really hard to do here at Know Your Team is just like get those frameworks out there and share yeah. with people, not like this is the one way, right? But this is the possible set of things and here's how to sort of to try to distill that, right. right? It's almost like you're trying to build a repository of ideas in people's head that they can pull out and try to pattern match to a certain situation. Exactly. And be like, in this situation, this might not be the only way to handle this or the best way, but now I have a baseline, right. which is better than my previous baseline because I have an example and it's vivid and I can sort of talk about it. And now I have fewer blind Precisely. spots as a result of that. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. No, exactly. And I feel like, like I was saying, I mean, you've literally spent your working life studying this on a broader level, right? Mental models sort of across all industries, whether it's around science or economics or even love or and, – and, you know, I know you've had folks who've talked about even um, – you had uh, one incredible uh, person recently who talked about mental models around leadership. Mm -hmm. Jim Dr. Dr. Berger. Or was it – Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, and him. Yeah, as well. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. You've had a few. And then you've had Jim Collins recently yeah. on the podcast who wrote um, Good to Great. And so, I mean, as sort of the, the person who has been sort of collecting all these conversations, I mean, what if – Hey, this is a really open question, right? Like, what are things that have been surprising to you? What are sort of pieces where you've assembled and sort of put into your own leadership perspective? Mm. Yeah, that's a really things good that question. have stood out to you in those in those conversations. I think where I'm starting at this point, and I'm just at the beginning of this, right? Which is yeah. we we released seventy or seventy one episodes now. I forget over three and a half years. Right. So this is not, uh, we're bi-weekly now, but at the start, it was like once every three months. Mm -hmm. And what I'm starting to notice is ideas that people are talking about in different vocabulary. So we're hitting on timeless sort of themes, if you will, or meta mental models, if you want to, where yeah. different people have different ways of talking about them, but we're, I think we're fundamentally, and again, I haven't deep dove into this yet, but I, yeah. I feel it when I'm talking to them and I'm like, oh, yes. that's like this and this and this. And now it's yep. starting to be like, yep. well, maybe hmm. we can pull those ideas out and we can create um, a set of meta models for people to think about. And the, the, just to, to go back to mental models for a second, the way that yes. I thought about this, which is, probably incorrect but it you know i went to school and then i did a computer science degree and then i managed i led people and then i did an mba but when i was doing a computer science degree i was learning how to program hmm. computers and you know i found myself six to, i don't know six months later or something leading a team of people uh and like all these ones and zeros that i had learned in school were still super valuable because i was still doing work but now i had to manage psychology and dynamics and i didn't know a whole bunch about the world, right? Like my education yeah. was very specialized in writing computer code and that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. And then the world changed and we, I had to adapt to the new world, but I didn't know about all these other disciplines. And when we think of the education system, it's increasingly yeah. specializing in a way, right? It's, mm -hmm. you're going to get a business degree. And why do you want to do that? It's because the cost of the company to integrate you into the company and get it up to a baseline speed is really low. And so they mm -hmm. want the universities to specialize. But as a person, that creates blind spots yes. in all of these subjects that we don't sort of know the big ideas from. Like, how effective yes. are you going to be at anything if you don't understand psychology? 
but not yeah. many of us do psych majors or a lot of us don't nope. even do psych 101 and the psych 101 we do cover is not necessarily like the psychology you need to understand people or living or marketing or any of that stuff. And so I think we started out this project. We call it the Great Mental Model Series. Um, mm -hmm. We have 109 listed on the website. And we're just writing the big ideas you should have learned in school. And yes. we're just going to iterate over them. And they're, we're not connecting them at this point. But the world is connected. But the reason we're not connecting them is because we want people to connect them themselves. And if they connect them themselves, yes. it's going to be much stronger. But like phase two of the project is sort of like, we'll connect them for you. And then we'll draw these meta models out of them, right? Like time mm. would be an example of a meta model. It affects a yes. whole bunch of things from compounding to relationships to, and, yep. you know, and so when you start thinking about these core ideas, it's like, Nobody's ever taught us about time and how it impacts all of these different things, right? Are we, yes. are we compounding the relationships that we're having with people? And, you know, there's, there's four permutations of a relationship that you can get into some, with somebody. It's win-win, win-lose, lose-lose, or lose-win. But only one of those mm -hmm. is going to survive over time. And that's win-win. Mm -hmm. But win-win in the moment is not really what we're taught in school. When I did my MBA, they're like, yeah, you know, ring out every nickel from the supplier you can. And it's like, well, yeah. that works in the short term, right? And exactly until Time. that supplier, yep. like we've all been on the other end of this, right? Mm -hmm. And we want out of that mm -hmm. relationship. So the minute they could walk away from us, now they're going to leave us high and dry, or maybe there's a crisis, and they're never going to support us through that crisis, because we've treated them so poorly. And so you've taken yes. yourself off survivability. And then if we, we map our understanding of compounding, which also applies across time, we know that most of the gains to compounding occur at the end of a relationship, not at the beginning. Exactly. Right. And so we naturally just take ourselves off of these very um, principle, timeless, unchanging ideas. And we do it unintentionally mm -hmm. because we're trying to optimize for the moment. And that's what school taught us. And I think that yes. we're just trying to open up everybody's ideas or everybody's mind to there's a broader world out there. And we're, we're not prescribing anything. There's nothing on Farnham Street that is like four quick ways to get ahead or get a promotion. It's like, mm. we want to help. Oh, really? You. You're not, you're not doing that? Yeah. <laughs> no. We want to help yeah. you think better, right? We want to help <laughs> yes. you. But, but you thinking better yeah. is not me telling you how to think. Exactly. Right. Because that's never going to work. And that's a dependency relationship where you're dependent on us for the mm -hmm. answers. And, and that's not going to serve anybody. But if we can give you better ideas or better software, if you want to think of it in terms of like better apps sure. in your head, you'll be able to pick and choose similar to what you're doing with leadership stories. Right. You'll have a repository right. of knowledge where you can think through problems from multiple perspectives. And if you think about why people are so busy today in organizations, I would say mm -hmm. most of the organizations that we've done work with, it's because of poor initial decisions, right? They're trying mm -hmm. to go too fast, too yep. quickly. And a lot of their time is just spent correcting those decisions, right? I didn't yes. communicate it in the right way. So now somebody went off and did a whole week's worth of work in the wrong direction. And whose fault is that? Well, it's really easy to blame them. But often the yes. fault is like, it's on you. And then you didn't check in. And that little five minutes that you thought you were too busy for has now cost a week's worth of work for somebody else and sort of yes. damaged your relationship. And it's just those little things where everybody is taught to go fast, but we really want to go mm -hmm. far. And sometimes they're different things, right? We put the, we, we, in business school, you're taught to value 
efficient over effective, but we really want effective. And that's sometimes it's not efficient, right? What's, what's effective long term is not having a whole bunch of debt on your balance sheet. What's really efficient short term is having a whole bunch of debt, but then you can't survive across <laughs> time, right? And so yes. we're, we're not integrating these ideas because each domain has their own way of looking at them. And we mm-hmm. just want people to sort of be aware of the other ones and find ways to integrate them themselves. And uh, hopefully we're doing it an okay job with that. But like I said earlier, we can do better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, Shane, there's so much there that is absolute gold. I think actually very specific to sort of, okay, you know, you're sort of sussing out almost these meta mental models. I mean, I think even, yeah, as you mentioned, like time being such an interesting um, sort of axis of which as leaders, we are kind of ignorant too. And I think it's, so, you know, it, it makes me sort of pose two things like one, actually, yeah, we'll just start with the first, which is like, why do you think for leaders in particular, it's so easy to ignore the long-term in favor of short-term gains. Like, what is it about leadership in particular? Think of the mismatch between uh, just most companies. Yeah. I mean, let's exclude owner-operated companies for the Fair. time being and just think about public market companies or something. The timeline of the – I would imagine, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but the average duration of a CEO is probably three to yep. five years max. Yep. I would agree on that. Uh, and then the shareholders, what's the average duration of a shareholder? Um, we're probably down to like days, yeah. but let's say years, yeah. a couple years. And so you have this mismatch, right? Shareholders care about the next two years. The leadership then mm-hmm. thus has to care about the next two years. But even without that, they probably care about the next five years because they know that they're going to they're gonna be gone. Whereas if you, um, you have private companies, you can actually do things differently, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't mean you're doing them sure. better, but you can definitely do them yep. differently. And differently could be you can take a 50-year view. You can take a 100-year view and you can optimize for, for that versus trying to optimize for And you have to have like a successful business because you have to not worry about payroll and survival, but then you can start making decisions. And the really interesting thing about that is if you think about it, it's hard for competitors to do that because they have different pressures and you know what they're they're taught in school. So you can sort of like use that to your advantage and play a different game than everybody else where it's like, oh, we're going to do something and we know you can't copy us because we know it's going to take a lot of resources and it's not Mm going to pay off for five years. And at five years, it might pay off really big and it might actually not pay off, but we're not risking the company mm-hmm. on it. And so you can take those bets where your competitor will never do it. Uh, and so you, you can, I mean, there's lots of different ways to think about how time affects the decisions that people make. Mm-hmm. And if you're near the end of your career, we went through this where I used to work, mm-hmm. where we did all these handoffs between knowledge handoffs between people. And the people towards the end of their career weren't really excited to pass over a lot of the information, right? They're winding down, they're going to their retirement planning, they're sort of like trying to figure out their next step in life. Mm-hmm. And you have these, you know, younger people who are really keen to learn and you sort of have this mismatch in timelines. It's like, you only have a couple months to tell me everything that you know, and you're also like preoccupied doing something else during that time. And and so time mismatch is like a huge Absolutely. thing, right? And, it affects relationships with people, um, you know, it affects dating, it affects marriages, it affects Completely. like not only sort of like running a business, but you might have different ideas of like what life looks like over time. One person might want to work really hard for the next five years and 
try to make a lot of money and then sort of like kick back. And the other person might be like, I want to work less hard, but over, you know, 25 years and I'll be just as happy. And then you have this mismatch in terms of timing and sequencing. Absolutely. I, um, I love that. It, it, it causes me to actually even personally as a CEO reflect instead of this idea of trying to get somewhere as quickly, right, to your point, as efficiently as possible. I mean, even questioning yeah. where, right? Not even how far, but like, where am I trying to go? It's so interesting in the coaching that yeah. we've done and the workshops we run, you know, and all the conversations that I have with, with leaders, it's this almost like artificial urgency, right? That is, you know, who know, like, a myriad of different, you know, reasons and <laughs> influences that's like sort of that pressure cooker. But this question of, uh, of, of where am I trying to, I actually think I remember actually in a podcast that, that you had done with Jim Collins, I think he had asked or posed the question or the question came up of, um, what, what is the truth in your ambition? Right? Like just really mm. figuring like, where are you trying to, to go? And to your point, when you figure out where that is, then ever you can align everything on a time scale where it fits, where it does match. Right. And you can't match it perfectly. Right. People yeah. have their own personal timelines for where they want to even be within their own career. And that might not match up with your long term view of where you want the, the organization to be. But I think even, well, yeah, think, go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, just just think of your life, yeah. right? Like um, we're living life forward, but in reality, you should live life backwards. Mm. And that means sort of like pitching yourself at 90 and sitting on a park bench. And it's like, what does my life look like? How have I treated the people in it? What matters yes. to me in this moment? And then living your life towards that direction versus living your life unconsciously in the best direction for tomorrow. Right. You want to optimize for like your life. You don't want to optimize for tomorrow. And those things, mm. often the decisions are the same, but often they're very different. Absolutely. Right? And what, what's going to matter to you towards the end of your life isn't probably what matters to you tomorrow. But what matters to you tomorrow will matter. You know, it can affect the end of your life. So you have to sort of live with the end in mind. I think that was like... Stephen Covey, mm-hmm. who said that, yep. right? We, we sort of call it living backwards. Yeah, I love that is, framing of it. You, you just sort of like, you have to let your the hindsight of your 90-year-old self become your foresight today. Absolutely. And then make choices with that in mind. And it means you're probably going to go home and spend more time with your family. Or you're going to take time to celebrate little milestones. And you're, you're you know, uh, it changes sort of like how you think about it. Absolutely. That. And it's and I think it's funny, the sort of unintentional consequence that comes when you put situations in that greater perspective of in that sort of background, uh, backwards lens of, I think you make better decisions, right? Because you're not optimizing for, again, sort of that win tomorrow. You are like, yeah. they're, they're a little bit more thoughtful. You have a little bit more space. You see how they sort of stack up in the long-term view. It's something that your competitors, as you were saying, can't do as easily. And so it's just funny how it actually serves you, right, to do something that doesn't always yeah. feel like it's it's serving you in the beginning. Well, my my belief, mm-hmm. and I mean, is that you live a more meaningful and satisfying life if you live backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not gonna. And I mean, the flip side of this is like I'm I'm super ambitious and I have a lot of drive sure. and a lot of energy to apply towards problems. Uh, and those two things, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. It just means keeping in mind, like, where is it you're trying to go long term? And are you making the decisions today 
that are going to get you there. And one, one example of this in personal life that mm. I was just talking with a friend about at lunch today yeah. was, uh, you know, another super ambitious person runs a company that are like 75 people. And what's suffering right now is his relationship with his wife. Mm. Because he's like, I'm exhausted and I'm, I'm giving, as Esther would say, like I'm giving her the leftovers yep. and then, you know, after the kids get to bed, I don't even want to like have the talk. I just really want to go to bed. And it's, but he's not investing today. This is where this comes in, right? Like he's not investing today in what matters to him because he feels like it's always going to be there. Yes. And it's not always going to be there if you don't invest in it and it will go away. And then you'll wake up too late realizing that, and, and it'll immediately hit you, yeah. right? Like, man, that that 15 to 20 minutes of connection time yes. that I thought was a chore actually was yeah. probably the thing that I'm going to regret not doing because it was so meaningful to where I wanted to be in life. And it doesn't matter how much money I yep. make or how successful this company is. That's what I'm going to hold on to. And that's what I can change today. And one of the ways to help people see that is sort of living life backwards. I love it. You are giving me such personally a powerful reminder of viewing not just sort of, you know, my role as a CEO, but really personally, right? And how, yeah, where where we want to be in that in that well, ultimate view. So yeah. this is interesting Please, too, right? Yeah. Like I, I I don't project my view onto other people, but the way that I see the world is not me as, as a, you know, a founder of a company and me as a person. Right. It's like I have one exactly. life and, and that life includes all of these things and they have to work. And I don't think of it in terms of balance. I think of it in terms of harmony. Right. Integration. But yep. I don't, I, right. Like I don't want to op- optimize one area of my life at the expense of another Completely. area. Like I only get one life. Right. And so, like, that life has to work. And if my things are at home aren't good, then the things at work aren't going to be good. And if my health isn't good, none of that's going to be good, yes. right? So if I'm not doing the things that I need to do in all areas of my life, then maybe I'm optimizing for tomorrow, but I'm definitely not optimizing for sort of 90 years. Exactly. And only for a part of the kind of real life that you want to live, right? And your community, one thing that I've sort of recently uh, been blind to Mm. is like my role in the community and what it means to give back Mm. and how do I do that? And I think that that's a very, um, that's a part of me that's been missing, Mm. right? It's a part of me that I need to feed in terms of, uh, I want to do more in that. I, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm marinating in all of all of what you shared here, Shane. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time, oh, thank your, you. your thoughts. Um, I guess the one last thing, right, if I, if I had to ask before, before we head out here, um, is I, I, you are truly the expert, like I was saying, right, on having these conversations with people around assembling ways to be viewing their lives to make better decisions. And through those conversations, is there anything that's come up where you feel like this is a big myth that needs to be dispelled? Like too many people believe X and I believe Y. And oh, that's a big question. I don't know if I have a really good answer to that <laughs> on the spot. I, I think, 
you know, the, the one that initially comes to yeah, mind. Yeah, more like a, it could be like even like a pet peeve, you know, like the thing that people say and you're just like, I get annoyed by that because it's, ah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off oh, there. Yeah. No, no, like. Whatever, yeah, whatever's feeling, th- feeling right. I think we're just over overconfident in ourselves, mm. right? And our, our view of the world. And I think it annoys if you want to use that vocabulary and I'll use your vocabulary because sure. it's not sort of like how I would think yeah. through it, but like it, it annoys me when I catch myself thinking I've, I've figured it mm-hmm. out or like, I understand this particular dynamic or area. And it really annoys me when other people um, sort of do that too. Right. Because it, what, what I notice in myself and what I'm projecting, I guess, is like, I'm close to, to new ideas at that point. I'm close to somebody improving my understanding. I'm close to, and, and the world is dynamic yes. and everything is interconnected. And the minute that you become a closed system, you eventually die. Yes. And I think that I want to be an open, integrated system and catching myself thinking that, oh, I've got this figured out. And so one of the things we've started doing is like having um, different guests on the podcast with completely opposite ideas mm. and exploring the same subjects in a very similar way and trying to be open-minded about not predisposing what I believe or what I think personally, because who am I? Like these people are experts in like these respective domains. And, you know, I have my, my thinking on relationships, yeah. but you know, they've counseled thousands of couples successfully, both of them. And in, in the case of Sue Johnson and Esther Perel, mm-hmm. and they have very different ways of looking at this situation. And I think like, then it's sort of synthesizing that and coming up with what I think is my tentative view and after talking with Annie Duke, I, I actually consciously use this huh. wording, which is like, you know, I'm 80% certain yeah. that my ideas are right in this. But it's just that little delta, even if you say you're 99% certain, and you can talk with people about that and be like, hey, I'm pretty certain about yeah. this. And then, but you're, that, that signals so to the funny. other person you're open to changing your mm-hmm. mind. And it also primes you to being open to changing your mind. And then the question becomes really interesting, which is like, what would cause you to change mm. your mind? What information would I have to give you for you to know that your, your view of the situation is not accurate or your model of the world needs updating? Yes. And so much of that comes back to debugging our brain, right? If you think back to computer science terms, it's like watching what's going on in your brain, watching the feedback and going like, oh, I just need to update this. And computers are Mm non-emotional. And so part of the, the metaphor of debugging is that you just, if you can take the emotions out of it, watch the instructions go by either in hindsight or real time, Mm -hmm. you can update your views of the world. And it's not, um, it doesn't necessarily have to hate your ego. Because what you're optimizing for is the outcome, right? Which is, so one of the phrases that we toss around at Farnham Street is outcome over ego. Yes. Right? You want your ego wrapped up in the outcome. You don't want your ego wrapped up in your view of the world. And and like, this is a lesson that I've constantly learned. And no doubt I will learn again because I'll make a mistake somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, um, but when you, you own a business and you operate a business, it becomes very apparent to you that what matters to you is not that you have all of the ideas or you have your ego wrapped up in in the coming up with the best idea. You just really want the company to succeed. Mm. And that might mean that somebody else has the best idea and you're happy about that yes. because it's not only is it less pressure on you because like 
oh, great. Somebody else has got the best idea. But it, it, it's also like you can see it in a way that you can't see it when you're a knowledge worker. It's really hard to openly admit that somebody else has a better idea because you view yourself you, you're, as a knowledge worker. And then if you're not a knowledge worker and you don't have the best idea, then what are you? And it sort of seems to make you less. Mm. But again, your ego is tied to your view of things and not the view sort of of what's best for the team, mm -hmm. what's best for the organization. And how do I think like that? Yes. <laughs> I love that, Shane. Thank you so much for sharing and reminding us all that whatever confidence that we have is just to maybe to calibrate it a bit and yeah. to see what that reveals and the holes that it, it creates that are good for us. So well, thank you so much for having us on here. Thank you. This was great. Uh, yeah, so much fun. And for folks who have not yet, which I find it hard to believe, but if you've not yet checked out Farnham Street, The Knowledge Project and Shane's book, which uh, and series of books, which will be released over time on Amazon, please do so. Such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Shane. Thank you so much, Claire.